Good afternoon, Crossroads. Hope everyone is doing well. What is unique about the teaching of Jesus? What is different about Christianity from all the other world religions? What is the message that the church has for the world? How can we summarize the message of the scriptures? These are all very important questions that have one answer, and that is grace. And over the past several months, we have been looking at the Gospel of Luke, and Luke is showing us Jesus walking from Galilee to Jerusalem, teaching on various topics, and today we come to Jesus' masterclass on grace. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. And there is no story in the Bible that better demonstrates the unique message of Jesus and even the entire narrative of the Bible. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. I'm going to start in verse 1 to give us context, and then we'll jump to the parable. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 11, And he said to them, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I'll go to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose. He came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, These many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son, came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, son, you are always with me. 
All that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This passage gives us a glimpse into the heart of God and it gives us an overview of the narrative of the Bible. It answers one of the fundamental longings of the human heart. How do I come home? How do I get back to my heavenly father? So from this scripture, I wanna share the whole scripture of the Bible today. It has four movements. We were made to know God. We are prone to wander from God. We are pursued by the love of God. And finally, we can come home to God. First, we were made to know God. The novelist Julian Barnes once wrote, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. This is a really interesting and honest reflection. Here is an atheist who can't seem to shake this inner longing for God. And this is an experience that we all have in one way or another. It's a very human problem. We cannot shake a sense of restlessness, a feeling like something is missing, a perception that real satisfaction is always just out of our reach, a desire for transcendence. It's like our souls are hungry and we can't seem to find the food that will satisfy us. We were made for God. In the scripture we read today, one of the common threads was that something was lost. The son was lost. Before this parable, the sheep was lost. And then the coin was lost. And if something is lost, it means it's not in the place where it belongs, which means that there is a place where it belongs. The sheep belongs with the shepherd. The son belongs at home with his father. And although the sheep had wandered away, he really did have a shepherd who loved him and cared for him. Even though the son wandered from home, he really did have a father that loved him. He really did have a true home. He really did have a place where he belonged. This is the starting point of our faith journey. We have to understand you have a true home. You have a heavenly father. You have a place where you really belong. This is how the Bible starts too. In Genesis chapter one, we see that God created men and women in his image to be in relationship with him. They, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to live in his presence. They were meant to belong to God, to live in relationship with God in his presence. This is how we were made. And this explains so much of our lived experience. It explains the longings of our hearts. Why do we talk so much about finding ourselves? We feel lost. I mean, my wife and I were just watching a movie on Netflix which felt cliche. It's like every movie has the same point. It was a lady who was going through relationship troubles 
who signed up for a hike for three weeks. Why? To find herself. Right? When we look at the story of scripture, it makes perfect sense that we'd want to find ourselves because we feel lost. We know that there is a home that we are missing. We know that there's a father where, that we belong to. The 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal very famously said it this way. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. There's a God-shaped hole in every human being because we were made to live and to know God. Augustine, the fourth century scholar, said it slightly differently. He said, because you have made us for yourself, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. The philosopher Peter Kreft says this is the greatest sentence ever written because in the first half of it, it tells us the core conviction of Christian anthropology. We were made for God. The second half of the sentence tells us the fundamental longing of our hearts. Oh, our hearts are restless, always searching for more, always searching for the next next. Thing, never fully satisfied. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God because he has made us for himself. This is why money and success and fame and power and pleasure do not work to satisfy us. We have a God-shaped hole and only God can fill it. We have a restless heart and only the love of God can quiet it. So in light of the biblical story, this feeling of not even believing in God yet missing him, this feeling that we have a longing for more, a longing for transcendence makes perfect sense. We were made to know him. Which leads us to the second point. Not only were we made to know him, but we are prone to wander from him. And there are two very well-worn paths for running away from God. We know them well, and they're illustrated by the two sons in this parable. You can run away from God using rebellion, or you can run away from God using religion. Let's look at these paths a little bit closer. First, the path of rebellion. The younger son goes to the father and he says, hey, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Give it to me now and I am out. So he takes his father's money. He wastes it looking for pleasure in the far country. This is a story, again, we're very familiar with. Many of us have lived this story We tried everything possible to fill up our life with meaning, purpose, pleasure. Sex, drugs, money, popularity, power, comfort, success, relationships, we tried them. Just like the younger son, it left us empty. The path of rebellion often has very clear stopping points. The first stop on the path of rebellion is independence. 
The son wants to leave his father's house and do life his way. Who really cares what God thinks? God's like out there. I mean, who even knows if he's around? So like Sinatra, we say, I did it my way. The path of of rebellion stops at independence and then it stops at instant gratification. The son does not want to wait for his inheritance. He wants it right now. I don't want to wait on God's timing. Who knows if God's going to provide for me? Who knows if God's going to come through for me? So I'm going to get what I'm going to get. I'm going to get it now. I'm going to do it my way. I can't wait on God. I got to get mine. Independence, instant gratification, finally, cutting ties. The son began to cut ties with the web of relationships and traditions that formed him. His father, who once was the one who provided everything that he needed, now all of a sudden is the obstacle to what he really wants. So the son wants his father's stuff, but does not want the father. So the younger son goes in search of self-discovery. My father's home, his house, his traditions, his rules, his way of life. I'm leaving all of this behind and I'm searching for a new home. I need to find a place where I make the rules, I determine the plan, and I do it my way. That's the path of rebellion. But we see another path in this scripture and that's the path of religion. It works equally as well for running from God. On the exterior, the older son did all the things that a good older son would do. He fulfilled his duties. He was always on time. He was reliable. He was the one that always showed up. He's the one that stayed late. He's the one that did everything that the father asked him to do. But in his heart, he too was wandering away from his father, just like his brother. The younger son left home searching for meaning and pleasure, the older son stayed home trying to prove his value and worth. You see, the path of religion also has some stops on it. The first stop on the path of religion is bitterness. The older son is bitter. This is the belief that God got it wrong in your life. God Why didn't you do something? Why did you allow this to happen? Don't you see me? I'm the faithful one. I'm the one here every day on time doing my work. And God, why aren't you coming through for me? He's bitter. Second, uh, the second stop on this path is burdens. The older son, all of his obedience had become a burden. There was no joy in serving the father. He acted like a slave, not a son. He was not free. He acted like a servant, though he was indeed a son. He was bitter and he was burdened. Finally, we see that he was searching for approval. And the path of religion always stops at the search for approval. You see, the party is going on. The younger son is celebrating. The older son hears the music. He realizes that all the attention is now on his younger brother, and the older brother cannot stand it. So he stands outside the party, and he pouts. 
He thought he could gain love and attention by staying home and doing all the right things. But now this younger brother, this prodigal, this embarrassment to the family, he's the one getting all the attention. We are often more like the older brother than we like to admit. We're desperately searching for acceptance and approval. We look around to those people that matter to us. We look up to God and say, hello, you see me? Here I am, faithful. Here I am doing all the things. Here I am, the responsible one. Here I am, God. Here I am, um, friends. Here I am, community. Here I am, family. Do you see me? Will you look at me? Does anyone notice me? See, there's two ways to run from God, rebellion and religion. The younger son left home searching for meaning and pleasure. The older son stayed home trying to prove his value and worth. Which path are you most tempted to take? What's the path that you tend to go towards? But this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning. Third, we are pursued by the love of God. Okay, so we, we understand how we can wander. I think we, we look at those two paths and we're like, yeah, I get it. I get the path of pride, religious pride, duty pride. I get that. I also get the path of rebellion. I've lived that. I get that. But this story is actually not about the sons. The focus of the story is on the father, He is the main character in the story. In fact, in 20 verses, the father is mentioned 12 times. Jesus is trying to shine a spotlight on what the father is like. And when we begin to see how the father acts in this story, we learn something remarkable. The most reckless person in the story was not the son, it was the father. The most lavish spender in this story was not the prodigal son, it was the father. And Jesus wants us to see the relentless love of God. If you notice in this passage, the father actually goes out to both sons. He pursues the prodigal, runs to him in the road, and he goes out to the older brother pouting in the field. And the first hearers of this parable in the first century would have been shocked, appalled by the father. They would have thought the old man in this story was a fool. He was a fool to divide his fortune before his death. That was his nest egg. That was his retirement. How reckless can you be? He was a fool to wait in the road for his son to return. How naive. He was a fool to run to his son and believe his sob story. How undignified. He was a fool to give the son gifts in a party. Hadn't he already given that son enough? How wasteful. See, a more sensible first century Jewish father would have slammed the door in the boy's face. You have embarrassed me. You've embarrassed this family. You've embarrassed our community. At least you have to work your way back in. 
At least you have to prove yourself. At least you're going to have to grovel a little bit. It's got to be some type of punishment, right? You're going to have to earn it, son. But this is exactly the point that Jesus is making. The father in the story is not acting like a father we expect, the father that we expect. Jesus is asking a very important question to those listening. He's asking it to us today. What if God is not like you thought he was? What is God's response to me when I come home to him? What do I expect God to be like when I run to him? When I come to him broken, when I come to him with my sin, when I come to him in my sorrow, what is God like? And there's this tension in the story. It's building as we read it. The son is coming home. How's the father going to feel? What's the father going to do? How is he going to respond? There might be fireworks. Here we go. Will he be angry? How dare you show your face here again after all that you've done to us? Will he be indifferent? Who cares, man? We barely noticed you were gone. Will he be frustrated? You again? How many times are you going to break my heart? But the text tells us something different happened. The father sees the son coming from a long distance away, and the text tells us the father felt something. It wasn't anger. It wasn't indifference. It wasn't frustration. He felt compassion. Compassion, this word, literally is a type of gut-level love. Like in his bowels, he felt a love for his son. Do you realize this is the feeling that God has toward you? I wonder if for many of us, we understand what Jesus has done for us, but we are still hesitant about how he feels towards us. Meaning, yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I believe it. Jesus lived. I got all the stories. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. I get it. But do we struggle to really feel how he feels towards us? Do we feel in our bones that he loves us, that he likes us? That when we come to him, he's like the father looking from afar and he feels something, love and compassion. The scholar Michael Card describes God's love this way. When the one from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. I love this definition. When the one from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything, this is exactly what happens in the story. The prodigal son has the right to expect nothing from his father, yet he receives everything. Notice the gifts that the father gives to the son. They are all intentional and they are all symbolic. First, he gives his son a robe. The robe is a sign of position. 
The text says that he gave his son his best robe. His best robe would have belonged to himself. So the father clothes the son with his own robe and what he's declaring is, hey, I know that you thought you were gonna be just a servant. You're gonna work your way back in and earn it. Nope. Here's the robe. Let, let all see, let all hear, this is my son. Then he puts a ring on his finger. The ring is a sign of authority. As a son or a daughter of the heavenly father, we have all the rights and privileges that entails. So often in the scripture when we're talking about a relationship with Jesus, it says that we have been given the kingdom of God. It means that, hey, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer someone who's kind of begging for uh, morsels and, and scraps. You are going to inherit the universe. You're a child of the king. Then he puts sandals on his feet. Sandals are a sign of freedom. Servants did not wear shoes, only sons. So yeah, you were feeding the pigs and starving. You were a slave just trying to get by, but I'm telling you right now, you have all the freedom of a son. Here's the robe, here's the ring, here's the sandals. When we wander from God, God pursues us. This is what the whole Bible is about. God intends to rescue his lost children and shower them with his love. Beginning in Genesis chapter three, when we fell into our sin, we were separated from God. The whole rest of the Bible is a story how God intended to save us, to rescue us, to come and get us when we have wandered. This is what Jesus' life was about. That's why he came. This is what the cross is about, a rescue mission. Question for us this afternoon is, do we know that love? Have we experienced that love? Have we moved past a, a, a mental understanding into the experience of the younger son? Where we're standing there thinking we deserve nothing, being absolutely amazed at the robe, the ring, the sandals, the love, the acceptance, the power of God that we've received for free, not as a hypothetical situation. <laughs> like, yeah, hypothetically, I think I'm free. I think I'm supposed to be free. I think I'm supposed to understand God's love to saying, oh, no, no, I now I know it <laughs> in my bones. But that's still not the end of the story. The final movement I want us to see is that we can come home to God. We can come home to God. In this passage, verse seven, Jesus said, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now this is interesting. Jesus is not saying that there are some who need repentance and some who don't. He's saying that there are some who realize they need repentance and some who don't think they do. Remember, the story was being told to two groups of people. It was being told to the scribes and Pharisees and to the tax collectors and sinners. This group was flocking to Jesus. 
this group was grumbling, remaining on the outside. Jesus said repentance is for both groups. Repentance is not simply turning away from our sin. It's coming home to God. And that is what this passage is about, coming home to God. The text tells us that the son comes to himself. It's like he wakes up. He sees his sin. He sees the path that he's on is not working. This is not it. I tried it. I've gone down it. Here I am in the far country. I'm starving. There's been a famine. I'm a good Jewish boy, or maybe not such a good Jewish boy, but now I'm feeding the pigs. What in the world happened? And so he wakes up and he turns. He wakes up and he turns around, takes a step towards home begins to rehearse his speech. I've sinned before heaven, before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired. He's got this whole pitch. He's ready to go. And he begins to uh, walk the road home, the road of repentance. The father runs. In that day, adult men did not run. It was undignified. It was childish. Children ran, grown men didn't run. So here's this boy, broken and hungry, dragging down the road when he sees his father doing the unthinkable, running down the rope and he, road, and he begins to kind of get out his speech. Father, I've sinned before heaven, I've sinned before heaven. The father stops him. The father hugs him, the father kisses him, the father embraces him, the father accepts him, the father calls to the servants, quick, bring all the gifts, put them on. Quick, kill the fattened calves. We're going, calf, we're going to celebrate. This is the invitation of all of the Bible. You can come home. We can come home. Are you thirsty? Come drink from the well that won't run dry. Are you restless? Come find peace for your souls. Are you tired? Come find rest. Are you filled with shame and guilt? Come find forgiveness and freedom. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not really the religious type. I'm not really like a church type of person. Neither was the younger son. Yet he's the one in the story that ended up with the ring, the sandals, and the robe in the father's house. Or you might be thinking, well, I, I just need to know more. Like, I feel like this is more like a five-year process, and I'm just beginning. Like, I need to do some more research on this. I got to figure this out. Great. Do all the research. But you don't need all the information to come home. You can come home now. You just got to know the first step. You have to know the way. And as you take the step, you're going to find your father running towards you. You see, God offers salvation to us as a gift. We have the chance to reach out our hands and receive that gift. And here's what's beautiful. Repentance is not just like the first thing you do to enter the, a relationship with God. It is something that we get to do continually as followers of Jesus. We might come home a thousand times. 
I say, yeah, I've, I've already like come home like the first time, like I've already given my life to Christ, but I still am very tempted to walk down the paths of rebellion and the paths of religion. And I still have to come home. Some of you have been considering God for a long time. I wonder if this afternoon you sense that he's calling you home. Maybe today is the day where you finally say, okay, I'm ready to take that step. So there's two, two invitations for us today. Maybe that's you. And you today need to pray the prayer of saying, God, I want to come home for the first time. I want to receive your love and grace and forgiveness. I believe what you've done for me, and I'm coming home. Others of you um, need to come home again. Like I said, you've been walking with Christ maybe for some time, but right at this very moment, you found yourself on a path away. And maybe God is calling you home today as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this beautiful story. Thank you for a picture of grace that is so powerful. And God, I, I do pray you would give us a clear picture of who you are. Help us to see you as Jesus intends for us to see you. God, I pray that we would come home today. Pray for some in the room who have been wrestling for a while. Today, Father, would you call them home? God, I pray that they would listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.